You can be seated. Good morning. I'm Glenn, and I'm new here. And uh, <laughs> thank you. So in case you don't know, this is my first day officially as your new pastor. And hopefully it'll be the first of many great days together in the Lord. And um, if you're newer, I love it. Every church I've been to, there's been somebody that sort of their first week was my first week. So we're all on the same playing field here. Some of you have been here a very long time, right? And some of you sort of a middle amount of time, and some of us a lesser amount of time. And guess what? The Lord has some that aren't here yet that he's going to bring. Aren't you glad? And uh, they're going to they're gonna meet him and meet the Lord and meet this great community of faith, Davison Free Methodist Church. Nancy and I are thrilled to be here. Uh, your church, your leadership has just been so kind and helpful to us. Uh, you can pray for us. We're trying to buy a house, and they're making it hard. Um, they want me to have pay stubs before I start working. <laughs> Anybody ever tried that before? Uh, it's been a little, but the church has worked with us. And so hopefully here in the next couple of weeks, we'll actually have a home to call our own. And uh, it's funny, our real estate agent, Steve Wilcox, goes here to church. And he, he was telling us that after we kind of picked the house out and made an offer on it, he said there's been a lot of people from Davis and Free Methodists go drive by it. And so the current owners think they sold too soon. You know, that they could have held out. So uh, anyway, thanks for caring and going out to check out what we hope will become our new house. For now, the kindness of the Harrow family, we live across the street. And my commute to work is perfect. So I got to just, uh, you know, Nancy and I go over and eat in the Florida room over there. And, and then I'm like, okay, well, I'll be back in a little while. I'm going to work. So that's been great. It's been great. I heard the message that uh, Bishop Snyder gave at the last about the new pastor who was coming. And then I heard what your superintendent said about the new pastor who was coming. And I'd like to meet him. Uh, The new guy. I mean, he sounds pretty awesome to me. (laughs) Maybe a little overstated, but uh, it was very kind. And haven't you guys been blessed? The mystery of Pastor Brad Button. We want to honor him and his family. Mr. Brad. Yeah. And then Bishop Snyder, Pastor Snyder is your interim. How cool is that? How cool is that? <laughs> He's not even here, but, <laughs> but it's been great. And, uh, and I know everybody's been trying to prepare the way for me. You know, like the new guy's going to come and he's going to like shake things up and new stuff is going to happen and, and the church is going to grow. And here's what I want to remind all of us is that if our church grows, it'll be because of Jesus, not me. Okay? And the good stuff that happens will be God's stuff, not Glenn's stuff. But I want to follow him with all my heart. How about you? I want to follow the Lord. I want to be his person and minister his grace. And together, together, we will grow in the Lord and we will reach out to our family and our neighbors and our friends. I don't hardly know anybody here yet. (laughs) I can't bring a bunch of people to church yet out of my relationships, but you know people. You know, they're the families whose kids play on the ball team with your kids or in soccer or the guy and gal that live next door or people you see day to day, people that Jesus loves. Those are the people God will touch and reach through us as we serve him together. So I can't wait. 
I wanted you to meet my family. I didn't know they would be here today. They surprised me just a few minutes ago, but I brought their picture thinking this would be the best I could do. Um, we, we were in Florida together the last couple of weeks. So in front of me, my son Alex and his wife Becky, and they have three of those kids down at the bottom, Ashlyn smiling big, uh, Evan in the middle, and who is that guy? That's Aaron way over there in the end. Those are their three kids. And then Angela, our daughter in the green, and her husband, Jared, standing behind, and Caden in front. And Caden and Aaron and Ashlyn and Evan are all in the children's program here today. And our kids are, no, they're not. They're over there. Hi, guys. Hi, would you wave at everybody? Let them know who you are. That's Alex. And yeah. So hopefully this will not be the last time they drop in and visit us. Alex and Becky and the three amazing grandkids. Have I told you I have grandkids? I'll mention it a few times. They live in Kalamazoo, and uh, Angela and Jared have been living in Spokane with us, and Jared is looking for a teaching job in Michigan. So he is a junior high, senior high math teacher, uh, teacher of the month, a couple months back. Great resume. If you know somebody who might have a position open, let me know, okay? And we'll talk to him. It would be great if God would work that out. Let's pray. God, we have leaned into you during our worship time. You've touched us already. And we feel the moment here. It's, it's a holy moment. It's your moment as, as pastor and people, as congregation and under-shepherd. Uh, look to you together, that you will bring us together under the lordship and leadership of Christ. And that you will begin a fresh thing here, even now today, that will uh, unfold in the months and years to come. And it will be beautiful and powerful, and it will be because of you. And we pray that in these moments now, we will open our hearts and minds to the Spirit of God, to the truth of your word. We decide right now, whatever you say to us, we say yes back. So speak, and we will listen, and we will obey, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. And everybody agreed and said, amen. Well, I'm looking forward to the end of this message, (laughs) not just because I'll be done, but because we are going to take the Lord's Supper together. And uh, when I thought about how I'd like to start, that was one of the first things that came to mind. And you'll notice the table is set a little differently. It's, uh, it represents a banquet table, the king's table, set with china and silver. And it's because of the story that I want to tell. Uh, this summer, I'm going to start with a series called Vacation Bible School for Grown-Ups. Is that okay with you? I'm going to do it anyway. I just hope it's okay with you, okay? So uh, anybody here ever been to Vacation Bible School? or Todd Vacation Bible School, VBS. Uh, You know that at VBS, typically you do a craft and you probably sing a kid's song with some actions or motions. Some will try some of that. And every once in a while, if you're really good, you get a snack. Like, I'll work on that, okay? (laughs) Maybe next Sunday, we'll see. For this Sunday, um, I want to talk about a very unusual and powerful person in the Old Testament, kind of lesser known. He's, his story is the highlight of Second Samuel chapter 9. And when we meet him, he is 
14 years old. His name is Mephibosheth, and he's crippled in both feet. And he's hiding in a place called Lodabar, which in the Hebrew means the end of the world. No communication. The boonies. And he's hiding there from the king, King David. Because King David has ascended to the throne and established himself as the greatest, most powerful leader of the nation of Israel. But he succeeded the previous king who was Mephibosheth's grandfather, King Saul. Mephibosheth is Jonathan's son. And Jonathan, you remember him, the prince, the son of King Saul, who was David's best friend. And when the fall of the house of Saul took place, it was traditional in the ancient Middle East for the, anybody who might have been an heir to the throne to be considered a threat. They would often be imprisoned, sometimes executed. And so Mephibosheth has lived in fear for the past nine years. We first hear about him in the last chapter of 1 Samuel, chapter 31, on that fateful day when Israel is crushed by their archenemy, the Philistines. First Samuel chapter 31 tells the tragic events of the, the loss of the battle against the Philistines who triumph completely. And in their triumph, they kill three of Saul's four sons, including Jonathan. And the, the defeat is so uh, complete. Would you like me to take a drink? <clears throat> yeah, thanks. <clears throat> I heard a lot of you clearing your throats. That was my signal. Okay. <clears throat> the defeat was so complete and, and Jonathan's death and the death of his two brothers was so devastating. And then, and then the Bible tells us that King Saul himself is mortally wounded in battle, knows that he can't live. And you know the story. In despair, he falls on his own sword and commits suicide. And... This darkest day in the history of Israel, the news of this crushing defeat comes back to the family household where little Mephibosheth, five years old, is cared for by a nursemaid. The nursemaid, in a, in a fit of panic, picks up the child and runs for the hills because she knows what's probably going to happen. Uh, there, there will become stormtroopers, the henchmen of the new king, for him, either that or the enemies will come. And so she grabs him and takes off. And in her fear and, and uh, hustle and bustle, she falls and drops the child. And the Bible says he becomes lame in both feet. He never walks again. We don't know exactly how it happened, but he probably broke his lower legs or dislocated his ankle joint. And, you know, in the moment, in the rush, in the panic, there was no time to stop and treat it or reset it. And so the bones didn't set or they set wrong or whatever happened, Mephibosheth became disabled. In those days, they would consider him a cripple, something, something less. A crippled person was never allowed into a holy place of worship. A crippled person was never treated like a normal human being. They were treated as something less. So here he is, 
a little boy with broken feet who can't walk, who is, through no fault of his own, declared an enemy of the king. At least that's what he's been told. I can only imagine what it must have been like for him growing up. You know, to have that nurse, as long as she lived, rehearsing the story of all that happened and why she did it and why she ran. And boy, you know, they, they never, don't, don't let them ever find us because if they find us, you know it will be the end. And if you know any of the backstory, you know that King Saul in his later years, really, I mean, he lost it. He was just an angry, crazed man who began to rebel against God and began to lash out against David, remember? Threw the spear at him and everything because he, he felt threatened by the potential of David. And so no doubt Mephibosheth had had all of this poured into him. Don't let them find you. Don't ever, don't ever have any connection with the king's family because it will be the end. And then the messengers come. It's been nine years. During these nine years, King David has established himself as the greatest and most powerful king in all of Israel. He waged a two-year battle against the one surviving son, Ishbosheth. I don't know who thought up these names, but anyway, Ishbosheth was the king of uh, Israel, and David was the king of Judah. And for two years, they go at it trying to determine who will prevail. David, we know, prevails. And then after this two-year battle uh, within civil war, then he turns his attention outward to all, to all of the enemies of Israel. And he takes them on one at a time. The Hittites, the Ammonites, the Zoabites, the dadgum termites. Uh, I made that one up. You knew that. Okay. Uh, you know, and he defeats them north, south, east, west. He defeats them and establishes Israel and in, in, he takes all of the wealth of all those nations and he is a, he is a man at the, the height of his power and in Second Samuel chapter 9 he has one of those moments when he looks around at the goodness and grace of God in his life and he says, I wonder if there's anyone living in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. Remember Jonathan. They were fast friends. Jonathan and he had pledged their lives and their love as as powerful men to one another. In fact, if you read back, they had promised that their commitment to each other would outlast their lives, that they would take care of one another's family to the second and third generation. Here it is. David says, I made a vow. I made a commitment. I wonder if there's anybody. And sure enough, there is. And the message comes back. There's a little boy. He's 14 now. We think he's, out. We think he's way out at that Lodabar place. And so David says, go get him because I want to show him, listen, the kindness of God. Oh, there's a whole new deal going on here now. God is in the mix. When God is in the mix, everything's different. Do you know that? I mean, there's human kindness. You know, I like you, you like me, we'll be good to each other. That's, that's one kind of thing. But then there's God's kindness. The kindness that doesn't depend on our response. It's in the heart of God. Have you ever experienced the kindness of God? Anybody? Uh, are you living and breathing? Did you get up this morning? Uh, you have a roof over your head? Do you... 
Did you come to God's house? Are you, did, you, did you feel the presence of God when we sang? I did. I did. The kindness of God. God is so good, so kind, so gracious. It's not about us. It's all about him. And so in the kindness of God, David sends for Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth comes in. I mean, they probably had to carry him in. He couldn't walk. He could barely stand. And he falls down, the scripture tells us, on his face in the presence of the king. What else could he do? Now, this is probably going to be it. He's expecting off with his head, right? And the king says, Mephibosheth. I don't know if you've ever had a God moment where you felt like he knew your name, you know? I love it. (laughs) He knows my name. He knows my stuff. He knows my wound. He knows my potential. Nobody knows me like God does. And so the king speaks his name, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth says, you know, who am I? I am like a dead dog. Those are his literal words. And the king says, no, 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 don't be afraid. You know, over and over and over in the Bible, they use that, God uses that expression, don't be afraid. Because that's our first reaction, right? Because here's what I know. We're all Mephibosheth. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says that. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. The human heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Is that the truth? Who here would like our worst moment played up on the big screen? The truth about us is that we are sinful people. Broken people, wounded people. We've all got a story. We've all got a journey. And there's stuff in all of us that is reluctant, embarrassed to come into the presence of a holy God because we know that we don't deserve it and we don't deserve him. And any kindness he shows us is because of him and not because of us. That's why there's some people who aren't at church ever. They get this idea that, well, you know, I go to church, they just make me feel bad. Right? They just load me up with guilt, tell me what a terrible person I am. I already know what a terrible person I am. And those Bible-believing Christians, you know, in some people's opinion, we're the worst kind, right? Because we're judgmental and harsh and critical. And we know that's not the truth about us, but that's what the culture believes about us. And it's up to us in the kindness of God to show them the grace of Jesus. Love with skin on. I love what Davison Free Methodist Church is already doing. Be the hands and feet of Jesus in this community. And not only to the, to the lost and the lonely and the needy and the hungry, that's fantastic. Let's keep doing that. But also to the up and out, right? I mean, somebody told me a long time ago, you can be up or out or down or out, either way you're out, right? People, who, people everybody needs Jesus, don't they? <laughs> I think I'm in the right place. Everybody needs Jesus and we know him and we have received his kindness and his grace. We are all Mephibosheths and we live in a Mephibosheth world. And so here's this holy moment when King David says, don't be afraid. When you come into the presence of a holy God, yes, there's this sort of awe and fear, but it is not because of God's wrath. God's love 
has room for us. And then he gives him the promise. He says, you know, I'm going to give you your father's, your grandfather's estate back. And you're going to be a wealthy man, Mephibosheth, because I want to show you the kindness of God. And you'll receive that, and his servants will now become your servants. And, uh, you know, Mephibosheth finally has a hope and a promise and a bright future in the Lord. Don't you love that? And in Jesus Christ, God, who is rich in mercy, lavishes his grace on us. And we receive a new life that we don't deserve from the kindness of God when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. And we cannot keep him to ourselves, but we find neighbors and friends and family members and anyone we can, and we share the love of Christ with them. The kindness of God fills us and flows through us because he's so, there is no one like our God. There is no God so kind, so merciful, so full of goodness and grace as our God who has shown it to us in Jesus Christ. And we who don't deserve it are here today as favored sons and daughters, honored by the King, blessed by the King. And friends, we need it. We need the wisdom of God. Aren't you glad for the the Bible, the Word of God, and the Scripture, and the wisdom He gives us? Anybody here need wisdom? Anybody have teenagers? In the house? All right. Anybody have parents? <laughs> Hi, guys, over there. <laughs> you need the wisdom and the grace of God, right? Anybody have amazing grandkids? Yes. All right. We need the wisdom and the grace of God. Anyone married? <laughs> you know where I'm going with that one. Okay. And God, who is rich in mercy, lavishes his goodness, his kindness on us. It's just like Mephibosheth. You know, I was thinking about my Mephibosheth. (laughs) I'd really like you to like me. Sometimes maybe too much. I bought a new shirt just for you. (laughs) And uh, last night there was a panicky moment in the Harrow House across the street because we have been traveling and we're going to camp. I'm preaching at a camp all this next week. So our clothes are all packed and I couldn't find any long pants. I was like, the new preacher's going to get up in shorts, which was better than the alternative. But, uh, you know, and, uh, <laughs> you know, and they, and they won't like me, you know, and people will talk bad about me. And, uh, well, it may happen anyway, right? But it's not about me, is it? Not about me. Not about what I wore. Not about how I looked. Not about if I was interesting enough. It's about Jesus and who he is and what he wants to do in you and in me. And I bring my Mephibosheth, my insecurity, and I lay it before the Lord and he picks me up and he says, I know your name and I love you anyway and I brought you here for a moment like this and you are my son and you are his favored sons and daughters. And when we come to the king's table, something amazing happens. Because not only did King David say to Mephibosheth, I'll give you back the kingdom, I'll give you back the family estate. He said, from now on, you will eat every meal sitting at the king's table. Now it says that four times in about 10 verses. 
You will eat at the king's table. You will eat at the king's table. You will eat at the king's table as one of his sons. Why? Because if your legs are crippled and they are the thing that has haunted you the most and bothered you the most and discouraged you the most, when you're sitting at the king's table, nobody can see them. They're covered. By the grace of God, through his broken body and his shed blood, we are invited to become members of his family and sit at his table and be covered by the atoning sacrifice that Jesus Christ has made for us and be healed and be whole. Isn't that amazing? Aren't you glad? I don't ever want to get over that. I don't ever want to get over him. I want to be constantly amazed and captivated and motivated by this amazing kindness and grace of God. So the worship team is going to come. They have a song. It's a song I heard a couple of years ago by a band named Leland. And it expresses this idea beautifully. In fact, it's the story of Mephibosheth. And the lyrics say that... um, We're carried to the table of the Lord and he doesn't see our brokenness anymore because we're covered by the mercy of the Lord. I like you to just listen to it a little bit. And then in a few minutes, we're going to open the table and serve communion. Um, The way we'll do it today is that um, there are some who will come and assist me here. We'll be two here and two there. And when we open it up, we won't um, dismiss you by row. We'll just... I ask you to come as your heart is ready to come. Now, the scripture says, don't, don't just go through the motions. Don't just take it and don't mean it. In fact, it warns us against that. So I don't know about you, but I don't like to do church on autopilot. I like to do church with a freshness and a spontaneity and a genuineness that comes from some deep place. So as God stirs our hearts in a few moments while we, when we get ready, I'll invite you to come. Lord God, in this holy moment, we, uh, we open ourselves to you and we ask for your spirit to speak through this music and then in a moment through this experience of communion together. I, I know that all of us in this room have some part of us that is like Mephibosheth. Maybe there's somebody even here who has never found the kindness and forgiveness of God yet. But I pray that today would be their day. There would be something in us that says, God, I know I need you. I know I need to be healed and helped. I I, I need to be brought to your table. And so I open my heart and my life to you. Come in and forgive me and live in me. I pray that you'd hear and answer every prayer like that. And for all of us today who are followers of yours, may this be a new moment of our commitment to you and receiving your grace and kindness back to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.